Welcome to Thrive, a Paychex business podcast where you'll hear timely insights to help you navigate marketplace dynamics and propel your business forward. Here's your host, Gene Marks. All right. So Phil and Brian, thank you very much for joining me. I'm really happy to have you here. Hi, Gene. Nice to be here. Thank you very much for having us. Hello, Gene. Thank you so much for the invitation. I just want to make sure. So both you, Phil and Brian, you got Phil, you're a CPA, correct? Correct. And Brian, you're a CPA. I am not. Now I'm a certified you... inspector general and a certified fraud examiner. Got it. Okay, good. Because you'll be the uh, you'll be the more interesting one here because I'm a CPA. No offense, Phil. But you know, I for some reason there are like three CPAs on this call. We're gonna lose our entire audience in the first minute. Uh, but I'm glad to hear we're gonna have Brian carry the heavy lifting here, Phil, <laughs> just to keep everybody interested. Um, but listen, I'm glad that you both joined us. First of all, we're, you know, we're, we're talking about the Wage Theft Protection Act. And before we dig into that, let me just get, you know, um, both of your backgrounds, like you know, why you know this so well and where you come from. So Phil, I'm going to start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and a little bit about Anshin Block & Anshin. Sure, absolutely. So Anshin Block & Anshin is a public accounting firm. We've been around for almost 100 years now. And we've always been involved in the construction industry. Our first client was a contractor, and we continue to be involved in, in anything connected with construction over there. So because of that, we just automatically are involved in whatever the issues are that our clients are facing. And we get, we get involved to really become advisors to our clients. And this is one of the important issues that we, uh, we are starting to discuss with our clients um, and have sent, sent advice out. I'm a partner with the firm. I started with the firm right out of school like a lot of us did and stayed and grew to become a partner. I actually head up our construction industry group, and that makes up a really sizable portion of the firm. So um, myself and my partners and the rest of the group really get involved with their clients. And Brian will introduce himself, but Brian's been a real welcome addition to the firm and to our construction group because of the special expertise that he brings. And what is that expertise, Brian? Let's hear your background. Sure. Thanks, Gene. Well, prior to joining uh, Anshin and being in the consulting arena, I did a career in government. The last 12 years uh, uh, in my role, I was the inspector general for the New York State Labor Department. Um, so I have direct knowledge of this, the over, you know, the oversight and the mission from where, you know, where DOL will be coming at it. You know, now on the compliance side, we really see the risk out there in the industry that uh, so often the industry is not even going to be aware of it because it's going to roll up to them. Okay. I mean, so we've established the fact that you guys, you know, you have a lot of experience both on the government side and also with the construction industry. So, you know, let's dive in. You know, the Wage Theft Protection Act. I mean, Phil, I'm gonna, I'll start with you first. And Brian, if you want to you know, jump in, feel free. But, but just, you know, assume I'm a complete Luddite, know nothing about this. Let's just start from square one. What exactly is it? When did it start? How does it impact businesses, particularly in the construction industry? So, so maybe a good way to understand it and, and why it's even so important is to just understand what's going on in the industry right now. You know, the industry is coming off of and still involved with COVID, coming off of all the issues with COVID, with job slowdowns, with bidding slowdowns, with the slowdown and, and work being awarded even, even after it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been awarded and starting and everything. So you do have a number of companies out there that have gone through a lot of issues, material price increases, labor shortages, escalations, ability to get materials and supply chain issues. So right now it becomes even more important because you really need to know who you're doing business with and who you could potentially 
uh, have to worry if they're making the payments to their employees and if they're making the right payments at the right prevailing wages at the right amounts. So if we were five years ago or 10 years ago, this would still be an issue, but maybe not as much of an issue. But now, since you do have companies out there who could be suffering potentially financially because of this, it, the burden even falls more on the general contractors and the subcontractors who are employing those other subcontractors over there. You know, very quickly, and Brian will, will jump in, Wage Theft Prevention Act, Protection Act means the employees are supposed to get paid the right wage on time and at the right rate. So if anyone, if any company doesn't pay their employee the right rate, if they don't pay them for the right number of hours, if they don't pay them for overtime when they qualify for overtime, it's not only that company's responsibility, but it can go all the way up the chain to whatever companies have employed them and then who's ever employed the companies that have some contracted to work out to them. It can go all the way up the line to the general contractor and potentially to the construction manager there. So Brian, Brian can go into some more details, but overall, that's that's why we see this as a big issue because of what the industry is going through. And then obviously what it means, not just to the company who's employing those workers, but to the ones who are actually subbing the work out to those companies as well. Got it. Brian, um, you know, Phil mentions about paying your employees, you know, at the right rate. Um, what does that mean exactly? Well, you got to look at it a couple different ways. So there's public, there's Davis Bacon, federally funded. There's public work uh, in New York State that, you know, set up in the Constitution. So then there's rate schedules assigned for each one of those titles that uh, ultimately has to be paid for the work that they're performing. Uh, on the Wage Theft Prevention Act, you know, that also gets into all of the labor laws and wage and hour laws. So now we're not only dealing with minimum wage and overtime issues and timeliness of payments, you know, so Phil talked about where we are as an industry coming out of COVID, you know, now with inflation issues, uh, uh, workforce issues, not having enough, you know, workforce there, jobs starting and stopping, which affects profitability on jobs. So then you take those industry pressures and then you put in now the, uh, the Department of Labor's, you know, review of this. We first started out with their, um, you know, thorough analysis of classification. Were employers treating people as independent contractors versus an employee? You know, the 1099 versus the W-2. We get into the wage theft and the DOL's position on that. So you, one of the concerns becomes that then rolls up. So you have a small subcontractor working on a job for a prime and that sub he or she does not pay the proper rates, pay on time, pay the overtime. Uh, ultimately, the contractor that they're working for can be held liable under the act for those unpaid wages. And if that contractor, either through bonding or having their, their own financial wherewithal, you know, Phil mentioned the pressure currently in the in financial pressure in the industry, it then rolls, continues to roll up. So, I mean, the way the law was designed is they're looking for the deepest pockets for someone ultimately to pay these workers if they have not been paid what they're entitled to and and the timetable that they were entitled to be paid. Got it. Phil, you, um, your, your firm is located in New York, um, but you know, this, is, this is a federal issue, correct? I mean, this is, we, our audience are across the entire country. So there's state rules and there's federal rules. 
So, you know, first of all, I want to be just be clear that the Wage Debt Protection Act is is something that applies to all states. Is that is that correct? That is that is this is Davis Bacon and and this are all federal laws, right? So if um you know if you're in a state, but you you might be in a state where the laws themselves might be different than the Wage Theft Protection Act. So how do you know which law to follow? Um, you know, is it the state law or is it the federal law? What would be your 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 guidance there, Phil? Well, first of all, I'd say you really should be consulting with your attorney and make sure your attorney's involved in something like this and, and have your attorney give an opinion. And it's also very important based on that to make sure what the contracts say, because contracts can refer back to state laws, can refer back to federal laws if there's an inconsistency over there. So really, contract language is really important, not just the contract language with your client, but the contract language that a, a an upper tier sub or the GC general contractor would have with their subs. Really important to pay attention to that because obviously if something something goes wrong, that contract's going to really be what governs at that point. Fair enough. Ryan, you had mentioned earlier about, you know, you know the, the government going after the big fish. So, you know, the issue that I would have, if I'm a smaller midsize firm in, in the construction industry in particular, um, and I'm using even smaller subcontractors, um, you know, like you had said, I could be liable if those smaller subcontractors are not paying their people, um, you know, the right wages. So, so how do you recommend that I go about protecting myself um, against that? What do I do? So, Jim, first, it's not that you may be liable. You will be liable if the sub can't pay. So it's rolling up and you're now on the hook for it. And uh, it's a considerable amount of money when you look at the liquidated damages, damages and interest that are put to those unpaid wages. So to your question, how do you protect yourself? One of the ways is you want to make sure that you have internal controls so you know that your subcontractors are paying what they're supposed to be paying. You're on the site, you see what's going on, but you have to, you know, as Phil had mentioned, making sure that your contracts, you know, address these issues. You want to make sure that you have an audit clause in your contract that you can review what subs are ultimately paying. You know, if it's a Davis-Bacon or a prevailing rate job, you'd have certified payrolls. Here, there's not a need for a certified payroll. This can be, at, you know, any type of construction that's out there, but you want to make sure that you, as the contractor, are comfortable that anybody working below you, that those are ultimately getting paid. And then if it's a, you know, a public works job where you may have four prime contractors and a program manager, you want to make sure that everybody has that language built into their contracts because ultimately it continues to roll up until the workforce is paid. You know, it, it seems to me, and this is, uh, you know, for you, Phil, is, um, you know, this is, if I'm going to be hiring subcontractors and a subcontractor provides me with a quote or a proposal to do work for me and their costs are a lot lower than maybe some of their competition. Um, to me, I guess one, one of the first sort of red flags would be if something seems too good to be true, it, it probably is. In other words, it, you know, their costs could be lower because they're not paying their employees, uh, you know, the, the right wages. Is that, does that make sense to you? It makes a lot of sense. You know, there's the old saying, you get what you pay for. And yes, some, some, some companies could be more efficient. Some companies could do value engineering. If there's a significant difference, there is, there is the potential issue that that could come up over there. I mean, we really recommend to our clients, whoever you're doing business with, get their financial information, 
get copies of their financial statements. If the financial statements are a little old, you know, if you're going to bid something in October, the, and, and the most recent thing they have is a year-end statement going back to December, try to get some updated information. You really have to protect yourself now so that you really understand the financial wherewithal of who you're doing business with. And it's not even just, oh, I've done business. You know, I've done business with Brian for the last 15 years, and Brian I know is good and he'll get the work done. You don't know if Brian went through some issues, so that's why don't don't take for granted someone that you've always done business with uh, will still continue to be good. They could go through some issues that you don't know, and maybe financially they're not the best risk over there. In addition to some of the things Brian mentioned, we recommend you know to have to have uh, take attendance sometimes. Do it at least on random. Take attendance at job sites, so we make sure that if Brian was at the job site, we know he was there for forty hours. And then we go to see that Brian got paid for 40 hours, not that Brian was only paid for 32. We know who was there for 40. That's That becomes your responsibility then if that sub doesn't make that payment. Or if then we know Brian's level and Brian's a supervisor, he shouldn't get paid as a journeyman then. That's, that's again, an, an, another potential item that, that is a way to check. Make sure those certified payrolls agree. Make sure that you really have the confidence because whether it's a lot or a little, it could really snowball, and as Brian said, it's not just if you owe a dollar; it's not just a dollar. It could go up to f- to four, five, six times that dollar that you really owe. Mm. And I guess one of the lessons, Philip, that you have for your clients is that I mean, all this costs. I mean, you're, you're talking about auditing your subcontractors, which means there's going to be time involved to do that, and these are costs that you need to be included in your overall quote to your end customer because this is all part of doing the job. Correct. Yes. Listen, some companies are doing some of this already, you know, just because of other issues that have been in the industry. Some companies are doing this, um, you know, they're qualifying their their subs financially. They are doing maybe an overall check as to how many people are there every day and how long they're there for. But you're right. This could this could bring some additional costs in, in it for you. So it's really good to plan it. But, you know, if you if you really don't plan for it, you may be lucky and you deal with pe- with companies that are fine and never run into these issues, but those one or two times you do, it could cost you a lot more than what those extra costs are for making sure things are done the right way. Brian, you had mentioned, um, you know, you, you, we throw around the terms about you know, paying people under the Davis-Bacon Act, under, you know, with the right prevailing rates. Um, is this, I mean, those are, I kind of associate those things with like the construction industry. So is this Wage Theft Protection Act does it only apply to people in the construction industry? Would it apply to my, like my, I'm a service business. We're a technology firm. We do a lot of, and I sub out work to subcontractors to do like development work, you know, for example, on software projects. And um, I don't I, I frankly, I, I don't know what they're paying their people. I don't know if it's, a, you know, is, is, am I exposed to this as well? Or is it no. just companies that are in the construction industry? Gene, this was designed strictly for the industry. And what it was designed to do is to move past uh, what we have on prevailing rate and Davis-Bacon to also go into other areas of construction. You know, when Phil was talking about, you know, knowing your subs, and Gene, you had mentioned red flags, you know, for the most part, contractors have similar costs. Wages are similar for their workforce. Materials are similar. There's some economies of scale. There's some, you know, overhead that may be, you know, disproportionately higher on a smaller company or something like that. But those are small issues when you look at it. So therefore, if someone's price is significantly less 
you have to do your due diligence as to why that is. How are they doing it? Do they have the proper workers' comp insurance? Does there Are they listed with workers' comp that they're doing roofing or demolition? Or did they list them under workers' comp at something else? So that whole classification issue is tremendous because it drives significant cost and what your, you know, your workers' comp insurances would be. Here on, you know, the wage theft side of it, you, you know, if someone is cutting corners in any area and they're not paying, one of the, one of the areas you'll see a lot of it is in overtime. When does overtime kick in? You know, and, you know, and what, and what are the rules for overtime? The current economy, it's not so much that it's a minimum wage issue because the workforce is being paid considerably higher than that. But if it's not a rate job, that there's a specific rate dictated for it, did they get minimum wage? Did they ultimately get time and a half if they work, you know, if they met the qualifications for overtime and were they paid in a timely manner? And if they weren't, the pay, you know, the penalties can be substantial for it. And then the issue then becomes here, that starts to roll up. So an employee's boss, their employer didn't pay them. So they're going to who awarded that contract and then start working it up. You know, we don't see this as much as we do on, you know, on the prevailing rate side, Davis-Bacon. We see it where someone may use a wrong wage rate. Uh, but here it's that, you know, where those wages are not being paid on time for the correct amount to include the uh, benefits and overtime that are prescribed. Okay, so Brian, let me ask you. Uh, you know, this is a you know, say you know, there are people listening to this that that are aware of this. I'm sure there are people listening to this or watching this that that are not aware of this. So, you, you know, if, if I'm running a construction firm right now and I'm hearing you guys talk and I'm like, oh my god, I'm not sure I've ever, you know, this is not something I've been you know even thinking about. Uh, Brian, what would you recommend? me to do right now? What would be some of the steps I should be taking? So if you're in that position right now, you've got subcontractors that are working for you. You want to review them. You know, what, what is your subcontractor agreement with them? Do you have the ability to audit them? I would raise the concern with your subcontractors that, you know, here's the law. We want to make sure you're complying with it because otherwise there could be a liability that rolls up for it. And I, when we recommend ask for proof of payment, show us, note if it was a, you know, a public rate job, you're going to have certified payrolls, show us the payroll that you're doing this. You know, that, you know, um, ultimately, so the proof is there that the individuals were classified correctly, compensated at the appropriate level, and you have the proof for it that that all happened in a timely manner. Because then the issue is, is as that contractor, if you find where there is an instance of a problem, you want to get it corrected as soon as possible. The, you know, first of all, to stop the interest charges and then to deal with liquidated damages and damages that are out there. If it was an innocent mistake, you know, you're in a much stronger position to deal with those if you, you know, moved quickly to rectify the situation uh, as soon as you were made aware of it. But if you're a contractor, you clearly want to, you know, who's working for you, who's working on these jobs, where are the jurisdictions, and then start to say, you know, Gene, you had mentioned the whole red flag. Huh. Was that person's number, ju- you know, just off? Why was that? Why was that contractor substantially different, you know, to do it? You know, and we see whether it's the current marketplace or need for specialization. You know that these, you know, their subcontractor relationships are forced to list. Not to mention if there's public funding in the projects, you are, you know, now you have MWBE goals 
where potentially you're dealing with smaller companies and you want to make sure that everyone is you know paying their employees the correct amount on time. Brian, what do you do if you find a problem with a subcontractor? I mean, ultimately you could you you can walk away and say, well, I just I'm not going to use you, obviously. Um, but is there any other options? I mean, is there is there any protection that, that I could have as a contractor to say, listen, we've told the subcontractor these are the problems that they have, you know, we've warned them, um, you know, I, I, they still haven't fixed them. Do, you know, do I have, is that any defense for me if there's any issues? Um, and number two is, is um, you know, do I have a responsibility to report that subcontractor to the Department of Labor if I just discover that they are not paying, you know, you know, the right wages? So a couple different things. The first thing you want to be able to do is if the, if you find out that there is a problem, you have to withhold payment from that contractor until the issue gets resolved. You know, that's your real strength dealing with it is going to be on the payment application side of it. Because also you may, you if the contractor doesn't, you will be on or someone's going to be on the hook for those wages for those employees. You know, and there is a notification back to the Departments of Labor if you're willfully aware of underpayment of wages. So here under So the, I would uh, I, you say there is a notification I would have to I would have to notify the Department of Labor if I become aware of that. If if you ultimately become aware of it and you know that there is workforce that's not being paid, you know, depending on now you get into what are the funding sources of the jobs that you're doing, but there are quite there are circumstances that would require mandatory reporting. So, but the the issue is you want to first try to get that resolved with the contractor. The contractor has to realize it's not something they can just walk away from. We're also talking about wages. These are not dischargeable in bankruptcy. So the contract, you know, that subcontractor has to, you know, uh, take care of this. Um, to, and if they don't, someone else is going to. I guess the other takeaway there, I'm just thinking about if I was in this business, when you think of all the headaches that can happen, it, it, it's almost it, it's so important to do the right kind of reference checking and checking in advance of the people you're going to work for. And Phil, to what you said, you know, you might have known Brian all of your life, but that doesn't necessarily mean that things are going well over the past couple of years or there might not be stuff that you know. So it still shouldn't stop you from doing your due diligence, getting references, um, asking for financial information just to just to be sure that they're in good shape. Um so I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna wrap this conversation up, but I, I do want to ask you, um, you know, specifically only because the the firm covers so much the construction industry. Um, has the has the you know, the landscape itself has it changed much, particularly over the past couple of years? We have an administration in Washington that's very pro worker, you know, now and um, you know pro union. Um, do you do you see that there's there's a little bit more pressure being put on your clients? to make sure that they are doing this, you know, correctly, as opposed to, you know, years before? There definitely is more pressure. You know, the, the, when you look at the bidding and, and the bids that come in on, on work, everybody's looking to build up backlog. So there's, if you might've had 20 bidders on a project before, you might have 40 or 50 bidders or more on a project now. So there's definitely more pressure that way. The infrastructure bill is something that the industry really liked. But as of now, it hasn't it hasn't come out as much. There hasn't been as much new work as everyone would have anticipated. And there's even a trickle down effect for that. You know, the more the more of that that comes out, then you have more you have less bidders for each project. 
you have less companies inclined to try to bid on something different just because their backlog is down and maybe it's not their expertise, but they want to they want to go ahead and try to bid on something to get work. The profit margins get compressed over there. So whenever there's a hiccup, you know, whether it's material price increases or it's something like this, whenever there's a hiccup, it's tougher for the for the company to really make sure they can absorb it into their profit margin because they're not dealing with necessarily the same volume that they had before and potentially not necessarily the same profit margins, especially, Gene, as you mentioned, there, there are some additional costs to what to what they have to do nowadays at instituting these additional controls. So the, I think the industry is cautiously optimistic. Um, the nice thing is this infrastructure bill was not a mandate to spend immediately. So it's not like they're just going to be throwing money to find projects. It will hopefully be projects that are really needed and really useful and beneficial. And hopefully companies will be able to plan as the work comes out to decide the real projects they want to work on and see this continue for, I think, I think this goes for three years or four years that they get to spend the money. So that could be much more of a prolonged effect, maybe not as much as a, a quick rush, but a prolonged effect, which I think is healthier overall for the, for the industry. Phil Ross and Brian Sandvich are both partners at Anshin Block and Anshin in New York, specializing in the construction industry. Uh, Phil, Brian, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. We really enjoyed being here. Thank you for having us. Again, thank you. You guys have been listening to the Paychex Thrive podcast. My name is Gene Marks. If you have any suggestions, ideas, or topics you'd like to send in to us, join us at uh, payx.me forward slash Thrive Topics. That's payx.me forward slash Thrive Topics. Thanks so much for listening and watching. We'll see you again next time. Take care. Do you have a topic or a guest that you would like to hear on Thrive? please let us know. Visit payx.me forward slash Thrive Topics and send us your ideas or matters of interest. Also, if your business is looking to simplify your HR, payroll, benefits, or insurance services, see how Paychex can help. Visit the resource hub at paychex.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Paychex can help manage those complexities while you focus on all the ways you want your business to thrive. I'm your host, Gene Marks, and thanks for joining us. Till next time, take care. This podcast is property of Paychex Incorporated 2022, all rights reserved.